then in the wild, we're looking at the ostrich, one of the most unique and largest birds in the animal kingdom. And God designed them very, very unique. They have wings, but they do not fly. But boy, can they run. 70 kilometers per hour with 5 meters per stride as they run. Those legs are powerful. They're designed in such a way to take on predators. Strong enough to even kill a lion. Don't mess with an ostrich. But if you notice, they don't have any teeth. No teeth in that mouth. And yet, three distinct stomachs. They actually swallow pebbles to grind the food in those stomachs to aid in digestion. And the way they give birth is very, very unique. The largest eggs in the animal kingdom at 15 centimeters. And yet the dominant female in the herd will actually have all the other females bring the eggs to her nest. The female sits on the nest during the day because of her camouflage. And yet the male, who's darker and blackened, will sit on the nest during the night to camouflage and protect the animals from predators. Well, God says, look at the ostrich, Job. Look at the strengths and weaknesses I've given her. If you can trust me the same way the ostrich trusts me, I will work through your strengths and I'll also work through your weaknesses as well. So we've been studying a man by the name of Job, but it's spelled Job, which is kind of weird. So if you're not into the Bible, it's going to be hard to find that book, but somewhere in the middle. And he has had an incredibly difficult day, an incredibly difficult season where everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And so he and his buddies have been debating for 30 chapters of the Bible whether or not God really cares, what causes suffering, and is God just winging it when it comes to the world. Have you ever felt that way? You've looked at the world and said, is God just winging it? Like maybe God wound up the universe, maybe you can see some indication of intelligent design, and you're kind of like, well maybe... But then you see all the evil and the suffering and the heartache and the havoc. You're like, well, God may have one day made some stuff, but clearly he wound it up and is not here anymore. Or maybe you're like, well, I believe there's a God. Maybe he made stuff, but he can't be all loving or all knowing because the things that are going haywire in my life, a loving father, a loving God would not let this continue. Well, the book of Job really explores the idea of whether or not God is winging it when it comes to exploring and controlling the universe. I was in Atlanta about 20 years ago. I was at this event where it was a debate, really. Two people talking about the problem of evil. Kind of a famous Christian you probably never heard of called Ravi Zacharias, who was sort of presenting a uh, defense for why evil and the Christian view of evil really made sense. There was another guy I really liked. He called himself a naturalist, an agnostic. He was a firewalker and just a really likable guy. And I remember really being drawn to his defense that day because of all the ways he could have talked about the problem of evil, discussing the Holocaust or evils and, and natural disasters. He said, I'm going to use your own book, Christians, to show why God is not lovable, God is not in control, and God is not someone to be trusted. So he opened to the book of Job, and he said, let me summarize your book to you. There's a barroom bet between the devil and God, and Job is just a pawn to see who will win the bet as to who and whether or not Job will keep trusting God when things get really, really crappy in his life. He said, that's like your book, and the book in your religious book says that's what happens. I don't want to be a pawn in a barroom bet. 
between evil and good. And I remember thinking about his argument that day and just thinking, wow, that's really what the book of Job looks like. In fact, it's 30 chapters where Job keeps saying, if I had a day in court, I could present my case to God and he would see that he's wrong. He would see that I'm innocent and he would see that what he's doing is inappropriate. But we've been learning in this series in the wild is what we think we need is a day in court. But God takes us for a day in the wild. Job? You know what you need? Yeah, I need my family back. I need my business back. I need my finances back. No, 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 Job. You need a day in the wild. Come visit with me. And today we're going to talk about some ostriches. What? Well, when you think God's winging it, it's hard to trust God to be taken under his wing. Because the Bible has this metaphor of God taking you under his wing. But it's hard to be taken under God's wing to, to sense he's protecting you or watching after you or taking care of you if you think he's winging it when it comes to running the universe. And that's the question that Job and God are going to wrestle with together as they head out into the wild. And isn't it true that you and I may have a bad circumstance come in our life and we actually think, I think, certainly think, I could run a universe better than God. Maybe not the planets, maybe not the atoms, but I know I could run my life better than God. Because when he sends me something I don't like, I think, this is wrong, this is inappropriate, this is meaningless, this, there's no good can come out of this. And what I'm really saying deep in my heart is, I know better than you, God, how to run the universe. More than that, I'm saying to God, I can interpret circumstances better than you. Because I can interpret this, there's no way anything good could come out of that. God's like, Really? You're a good recorder of information, but not a very good interpreter of information. And I really believe I know what being taken under God's wing looks like and doesn't look like. So when bad comes into my life, I assume this can't be me being under God's wing and under his protection because I don't like how it feels. So God's going to give Job three aspects of the bird to really wrestle with. Bird wings, bird brains, and bird legs as he investigates what it means to be taken under his wing. He begins by looking at Bird wings. He says, you know, God doesn't wing it. I don't wing it, Job. But not all wings work the same way. And not everything you see is the way you're interpreting it. And you think the suffering I brought into your life has no meaning or purpose. But I'm going to tell you, not all wings work the same way. Job, before you tell me how to run the universe, can you tell me what this does? And he shows him a wing. Now, had I not told you this was all about ostriches, you might see a wing and go, oh, I know what wings are for. Wings are for flying. And Job would have said, yeah, wings are for flying. No, Job. No, they're not. This wing is on an ostrich. And it's not for flying. Not all wings do the same thing. And not all circumstances you think are supposed to do one thing can't be used for another thing. And he begins to talk about the ostrich. And here's what he says. He says, the wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but they don't wave to give flight. They wave for still stability as they're running, 70 kilometers an hour, 45 miles an hour. They're used for mating rituals. There's a lot of meaning and purpose to those wings that aren't related to flight. In the same way, Joe, the circumstances in your life, you think they have to be comfortable to be good and to come from me. But the things, the wings I put in your life, the challenges I put in your life, have a purpose you can't yet see. And Job, if you don't know how a wing works, 
and that it can have multiple purposes, how in the world are you going to tell me how to run the universe? He even mentions here, he says, but her wings and pinions, which are the the, the large, long uh, feathers used for flying, are very different. Uh, And pinions, like the kindly storks, are they the same? No, the stork's wings and the ostrich's wings are very different. I make wings and I use circumstances for different purposes. Now, the Hebrew word for stork there is a really interesting word. It could be translated stork or it actually could be translated peacock. So if you have kids in our children's ministry who are going through the same material today, they will be playing with a peacock today. Now, if he's referring to a peacock here rather than a stork, again, we have the idea that here's a peacock with lots of feathers that aren't used for flying. They're used for mating rituals. They're used for beauty. And God is, again, starting to challenge Job to say, when it looks like I'm winging it because what came into your life isn't working the way you think it should work, that doesn't mean I'm not going to use it in a different way with a different purpose or a different plan. And God can use something differently than we think. So Job, begin to see wings differently and maybe have some humility about what you do and do not know. And he moves from bird wings to bird brains. As you know, birds have some of the smallest brains in the animal kingdom. But again, as we challenge God to believe that we know how to run the universe better than him. And we all do this in different ways. We say it different ways. Some of us do it by worrying. We think we can control the universe by worrying. Others of us become controllers. Others of us become angry or bitter. But in our hearts, we really do believe that we could run the universe better, at least our own lives, than nature or karma or whatever it is that's running the universe. But Job has been asked a hundred plus questions by God, and the main purpose is to bring humility into his life. Job, are you willing to admit you don't know as much as you think you know? Job, you're a little bit bird-brained in the way you're approaching me. Isn't it true? Aren't we all a little bit more bird-brained than we want to admit? Don't we judge things that we don't really know that much about as if we're smarter than we really are? I was talking to a friend recently. He was in a meeting at a big company and they bring all the mid-managers and upper managers and everybody together for this meeting. And it was not a well-run meeting. I know you've never been in one of those where you feel like, what a waste of my time. Was there even a purpose? Does anyone have an agenda? When can I get out of here? I've got a tendency when I run meetings to start the meeting off with, what do we need to do to get out of this meeting? That's kind of my opening phrase. Well, as they're sitting in the meeting, he and his buddy are like, oh my goodness, this is such a waste of time. And then they did, I don't know if you've ever done this, they started to guess the cost of the meeting. Well, let's see, we got some level twos in here, we got some level fives in here, what's the average salary? And we've been here for about two hours, it's got two more hours, and they're just having a great time calculating how much money's being wasted by this worthless meeting, Right? I've done that. In fact, I've done that at the airport. I was sitting in the airplane one time. I turned the guy next to me because we just landed and somebody had forgotten to come to crank the door thing open so you can walk through. Like, I'm sorry, we're going to be a little bit late. Uh, we arrived at the uh, door and we don't have somebody for the gate to come out to us. And I'm like, if only there was some communication device that could talk through the air and have told people in advance that people were coming to this gate. Right. So I could have run this better. I would have communicated better. I would have done this better. Right. And when we're not bird brained enough to admit that we're judgmental, that we think we know more than we we really do, it just comes out everywhere. 
fact, I, two years ago, my daughter and I shot a TV show. So we did a series here at the church called Fast Track five years ago. They got bought out by a company in Nashville, and then they've sold it to become a TV show. But for the last two years, it's stuck. The production's all done, but it's not made it to the network. And I've been sending an email every two weeks for two years. My emails used to be long and flowery. Soon they were just in the subject line. Update, question mark? Finally, I worked around the system and I got a hold of one of the decision makers and I'm like trying to word this as nice as I can. Hey, just like some clarification. <laughs> Apparently your process is a little bit different than mine because I get back to people when I say I'm going to. And I just was curious kind of what the next steps are because I like to follow up and follow my word unlike you. And so I'm writing this email and you could just, it sounds very nice and polite, but it's just filled with like, I know better than you how to communicate. I know better than you how to follow up as if I've ever done anything with a TV show. And there's a sense in Job that's in all of us that we think we know better than others. Certainly God had to run the world. It's into that that God says, let's talk again about the ostrich. The ostrich is bird brained. He doesn't know how little he knows. In fact, here's what it says. It says that this ostrich leaves her eggs on the ground. She goes all that time and energy to give birth to those eggs. And then she leaves them. She forgets about them. She forgets about important things. And her brain is so small, she doesn't even know it. And she warms them in the dust. So she's been sitting on them. She's been warming them. And then she's like, bloop. And then she forgets about them. (laughs) And then she forgets when she runs back that her feet are so big she could crush them. And here's the thing. She's so bird-brained, but she doesn't know what she doesn't know. She doesn't know that a wild beast could break them. And sometimes she treats her her young harshly, not knowing they're fragile, because she's pretty tough, as though they were not hers. Here's the thing about the ostrich show. She doesn't know what she doesn't know. She does dumb things and doesn't even know it. Job, might you be like the ostrich? Might you know some things but not know some others? Might you be doing destructive things and not realize it? Job, are you humble enough to see that you don't know as much as you think you know? And is it possible, Job, that I could use difficulty and challenge and the circumstances in your life as hard as they are for a higher purpose? So I'm a friend of mine last week, and it was amazing how he referenced something that happened three years ago. He'd gone through an educational crisis, career crisis, and I'd totally forgotten about it. And we were sitting out having a lunch, and he was sort of wrestling with his own faith. And we are just having great conversations. And it was one of those conversations where um, he was asking me just one question after another. almost like a Pez dispenser, just one question sliding out after another. About the problem of evil. Is there a God? How do we know Christianity is true and there's so many other religions? We just had this great lunch together. And as he's talking about where his career was, he's doing great right now, and he's set up for the next few years in a really powerful way and, and sort of taking the next steps in his career. He said, do you remember that conversation we had two years ago? I said, oh, I sure do. He goes, I was at the bottom. And you're one of the few people who reached out to me and built a relationship with me. And you were with me in one of my darkest hours. And it was during that darkest hour where I felt like you know, I'd lost the career path I'd been preparing for for five or six years you shared some CD with me that was very helpful for me. And I'm not really a God Bible person, but I listened to that podcast 20 times. It was so helpful in me redirecting myself. And even though I don't believe the Bible's true, and I'm not really sure if it's historical and all you believe, that was so helpful to me. 
And what I realized is that crisis of faith, that crisis of career I had, really brought me in the direction of what I really want to be doing in my life. Now, at the time, I was there. It didn't feel like something that was going to be utilized for good. But often in hindsight, we look back and we see how a crisis, a pain, a difficulty steered us or redirected us to who we became or what we wanted to do. At the time, we're saying, God, take this away. I don't want this. How many of us beg God to go out on a date with somebody? And we're like, thank goodness I didn't go out with him. Thank goodness she didn't say yes. But at the time, we know for sure. We're not willing to admit how bird-brained we are. And not knowing how to interpret the world or understand how things all fit together. Then he transitions from bird brains to bird legs. And bird legs, that's one of those phrases people use to make fun of people, especially if you've got long dangly legs like me. I was a 110 high hurdler and a triple jumper. And so people say, oh, look at the bird legs, you know. But no one has bird legs like the ostrich. I mean, you talk about the ultimate bird legs. They're weird. They're strange. They've got big talons in the back. They, they pivot in really strange ways, as you saw in the video. And often we've got weak parts of our life. We've got odd parts of our life. We wish we could change how we look or what happened to us, or what's going to happen to us, or that circumstance three years ago, or that situation that happened a decade ago. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was a health crisis. Like, God, if you just remove that bad part, that odd part, that weak part out of my life, I'd be better. And what God is going to show through the ostriches is often our odd parts or our weak parts that become God's best parts. He uses the things we want taken out of our life to develop us into the people he wants us to be. I was called, I was a soccer player for many, many years on traveling teams, and so they called me Flipper because I got size 12 and 13 shoes, and they looked like big flippers. And so when I was in college, we actually had our names on the back of our shirts, and so I actually had Flipper on the back of mine, so I was always called Flipper. But here's what's interesting about the ostrich's legs. What look like odd parts are God's best parts to him. Now, most birds have hollow bones. So whether you believe in evolution or you believe in intelligent design, it's genius. The reason a bird can fly is because their bones are hollow, which makes them lighter. What's fascinating about the ostrich is he does have hollow bones in some parts, but not his legs. They are like steel. They are so steel. They are so unique. They are so odd in the animal kingdom and the bird kingdom. There is so much power in his legs and with those talons in the back that he can kick so hard he can kill a lion. And if I think about, well, I've got a lion about to attack me, I'm not thinking to myself, you know what I need? An ostrich. I'm thinking a gun. I'm thinking a bigger lion. I'm not thinking I'd really like to arm myself with an ostrich. In the same way, when you think of the weaknesses in your life you want taken out, God wants to use your weak parts and your difficult parts can be God's best parts in your life. In fact, let me tell you a story. It's a true story. Unlike the lies I typically tell. No, here's what I'll tell you a true story about how my dad almost got killed by an ostrich. So we are down in Alligator Farm, Florida, wherever that is, a big alligator thing at the front. So we're going around looking at alligators. And for some reason, when they created the alligator farm, they thought, you know what we need in the alligator farm? Some ostriches. And so there's an ostrich uh, division in the alligator place. My dad, you got to know, loves wearing baseball caps. I mean, you're going to find out how much he loves it in a second. Like I, I don't know what my dad's hair looks like. I haven't seen it in like three decades because he wears a baseball cap. 
Well, we're hanging out into the ostrich cage, and as we're over there, the ostriches are coming over. You know, doing the thing they're doing. And so my dad started goofing around with him, and so my dad takes his hat off and starts doing this. Ha, 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 ha. I don't recommend this, by the way. Don't try this at home. He's not a trained professional, let me tell you. Well, all of a sudden, he's just doing that. We're having a good time. I'm like nine years old. And all of a sudden, the ostrich is like, and he grabs it. He's got my dad's hat. And he runs to the back of the cage. They throw my dad's hat on the ground, and like three of them start stomping on it. And we're having a ball. Oh, my goodness. This is the best day ever. Finally, somebody's smashing on my dad's hat. And then they kind of run over to the other side of the cage. My dad, who's got a thousand hats at home, loves that hat. We had just bought our first mini compact VHS tape. I wish I had the video to show you. He handed me the video camera. He said, Chad, you get this on tape. We could have won a million dollars on America's Home Video. I'm nine. Go. Dad, no zookeeper on, jumps the fence into the... Yes, don't try this at home. He's not a trained professional. He runs into the cage, grabs his hat, books it, jumps, flips this thing over as the ostriches come chasing after him. I was so terrified for my dad, the camera looked like this the whole time. Dad, run! Dad, run! Dad, run! This is what the camera footage showed. Now, I didn't know at the time that ostriches could run 45 miles per hour, 70 kilometers per hour. I didn't know at the time, nor did my dad, I hope, that an ostrich leg could kill a lion. But that was the day my dad outran an ostrich. And it's into that that look what God says. God says, a lot of things I didn't give the ostrich. A lot of sense. A lot of wisdom. she got a bird brain. But oh my goodness, have you seen her run? Her labor's in vain without concern. I deprived her of wisdom. There's certain things I did not give her. You don't go to the ostrich for a lot of smart thinking. I deprived her of wisdom. I did not endow her with understanding. And there's certain things I did not give the ostrich. There's certain things I am not going to give you. But, you know what I love to do? Same way several weeks ago, I love to watch the lions, and I love to watch the goats give birth, and I'm with them in their pain. When that ostrich lifts her head on high, she can scorn the horse and its rider. A horse and rider at gallop can go somewhere between 15 to 25 miles an hour. And that ostrich is like, runs on by, that our best efforts of training um, uh, horses to gallop into battle, our best efforts are nothing compared to how God uniquely uses the odd parts and the weak parts of the ostrich. So Job, think about the ostrich. Stop focusing on what I haven't given you, because there's things I have not given you. And instead I want you to embrace what I have given you. How might God use the pains you've been through to be more compassionate to people who are hurting? How might God use the things you learn from scars of the past to maybe be more empathetic or to deepen your faith or to really begin to ask the questions you haven't asked about? What other solutions or lack of solutions are there in the different worldviews about the problem of evil? Because I'll challenge you with this. Christianity doesn't have a problem with evil. Everybody has a problem with evil. And there's only about five basic answers to the problem of evil from the different worldviews. You've got to wrestle with them. 
When you die, you rot to death. That's a theory from atheism. You rot to death. There's nothing else. Hitler is never going to be held accountable. Mother Teresa is never going to be rewarded. That is an answer to the problem of evil. You reincarnate into energy is another one. When you die, if you're bad or were bad in the last life, the universe punishes you next time around. You go through that millions of times. And, and how the universe solves the problem of evil, it beats you to a pulp or it raises you up over millions of, of reincarnations. Now, the solution to the problem of evil is this is all an illusion. That's what Buddhism teaches. To quote the movie Matrix, there is no spoon. This world's an illusion. And the more you realize that it's just an illusion and your cravings to want it to make sense are causing suffering. So what makes more sense to you? Is suffering an illusion? Karma says it's your fault. If you're ever going through difficulty, I can tell you exactly the answer. Hinduism teaches karma is always your fault, either this life or the life before. That is a consistent, articulate answer to the problem of evil. Now, Christianity offers a very unique one. It can be summed up in two words. Not yet. Atheism says not ever. Hinduism says not again. And Buddhism says not really happening. Now, it's frustrating to live with a worldview that says not yet, but there's a yet coming. That at least one day there will be justice and there will be reward. But if you've never wrestled with those questions and those answers to go, it's not just like I'm going to throw stones at Christianity for their issues. In fact, that's exactly what happens in C.S. Lewis's book, God on the Dock. He says, modern man has a very unique perspective on God. We think we can put God in the witness chair. And we are the judge. He said, this is unheard of in human history until the last hundred years. That we think that God is in the witness stand and we're the prosecuting attorney. And we're willing to be benevolent. If God can explain himself, but he better explain why he did this and why he didn't that. And God's got some explaining to do. Where most of human history, human beings thought we were in the dock. We were in the witness stand needing to give an account for our life. But now there's something in the human condition that thinks that we are the ones that may or may not let God off the hook for what he has or hasn't done. There's something in there we ought to wrestle with. It's very unique to the last 70 to 100 years of history and philosophy. Stop focusing on what God hasn't done and see if maybe the weak parts and the weird parts and the odd parts of your chapters in your life might be God's best parts for moving forward. And I think it's an encounter with the birds. What God is trying to say to you and I is let your life go to the birds. Instead of accusing God of winging it, what if you said, I'm going to try it. I'm going to, I'm going to try and put myself under his wing. I'm going to try and admit I don't know everything I think I know. I'm going to admit that maybe this wing that I thought was supposed to do A could be used for B. Maybe I'm going to admit I'm a little bit more bird brain than I want to admit and bring some humility to the table. Maybe I want to say, God, I'm going to put under my... If you can use my worst parts and my worst days for some greater purpose, because isn't that what's frustrating about evil when it feels meaningless? I don't mind pain if it has a purpose. And putting yourself under God's wing is saying, I don't see the purpose, but I'm going to trust you can use the pain for a purpose. But to do that, like Job did, you had to put your hand over your mouth at some point and stop accusing him of winging it and say, I'm going to even a little bit give a little trust that you might be able to put me under your wing. I'm not sure what it's going to look like or how it's going to look, but I'm going to make that shift. 
Zig Ziglar tells the story of Justin and Jim. Jim was his father, Justin's father, and Jim went through a horrible, horrible accident. He had a brain injury that left the whole left side of his body paralyzed. Because of the brain injury, he couldn't talk, and they sent him home, and the doctor said he was basically a vegetable. But he'd been a war veteran, and he was a fighter. And Justin watched Jim every day work on his speech. Every day he would pick up his left arm and drop it a thousand times a day, trying to keep the muscles working. A thousand times a day as a ten-year-old, he watched his father battle and fight to adversity and difficulty. And after months, he got a little twitch. After years, he was able to walk. After years of going through this incredibly difficult circumstance, he learned to speak again, to communicate again. And eventually, as Justin grew up, Jim was able to pray with him before he was married. He walked with him to be his best man at a wedding. And his dad talked about how this incredibly difficult, horribly difficult circumstance deepened his faith, grew his belief in Jesus, God, and the Bible. And that was shocking to Justin. In fact, he even had to sub one time his dad for a softball game at a church league because they needed uh, an extra person in order to, to not uh, be disqualified. And Jim had told Justin that had he not been there, they would have lost. In fact, pretty good for a vegetable. He hit, got two runs that day and his son only got one. But then Justin went through his own difficulty. He began to have some issues in his married life after being married where he had epilepsy. And the epilepsy resulted and he would just black out and start losing moments in time. It's one of the most challenging things in his marriage, he said. He was in the ER so often, they actually had his wife's phone number in this small town posted all over the ER and said, don't call her after three because of so much work she'd missed. And she was the primary breadwinner and caregiver. And he says, you know, I never knew how strong my marriage was and how much my wife loved me until we went through this circumstance. And thank goodness I'd seen my dad put himself under God's wing in the worst of diagnosis, in the worst of circumstances. And to see that as something God used to develop him because it helped me see my circumstances that way. I was talking to my friend Mike this week. He said, Chad, I've learned to embrace difficulty. He said, I'll never forget this business deal where I just had nothing but God to trust in. He said, we built these two companies. My division was going very, very well, but it was a partnership, and my partners weren't doing very well. And the thing that wasn't doing well was much bigger than my size that was doing well, and all the debt got called in. And the amount of debt we owed for all of the partnership, I couldn't have paid in a lifetime. And so we got called into account at the bank. So I showed up there with my lawyer, and we'd been praying. My wife and I really prayed and said, hey, if, if this is where we're going to head into bankruptcy, it wasn't really our fault, we didn't really cause this, but God will even use this in our life. And so he kind of surrendered the circumstance that we don't want this, we don't like this, but God can even use this. He said he showed up and the representatives from the bank said, well, tell me what you have to negotiate with. He said, well, what I'd like to ask for is that you guys would forgive the debt. You want us to cover the debt? Sort of explain the situation. He goes, we've been in operation for 125 years. We have never covered or forgiven anything like this. 
It's like, well, um, that's the circumstance. Again, I, I can't pay it. I'm never going to be able to pay it. Uh, I want to meet my obligations. My part of the division did, but I understand the situation we're in. And the bank went away and had a meeting, and he was praying. Totally open that if we need to face the bitter circumstance, we will. It's going to be devastating, but God still loves us. God still cares for us. He said the bank representatives came back, and after 125-year precedent, he says, I can't believe it. But they've agreed to cover the loan, and you can go. And he said, you know what? It was that moment in my career I decided, number one, never to co-sign a loan again. He said, which is unheard of in my business. You go out of business. But I've made more money if that, since that decision, which the Bible actually gives some wisdom toward that. But what I really learned that day is I was prepared to face whatever the circumstance was because I knew I was under God's wing. And I certainly preferred the outcome he gave me. But my wife and I were prepared that God was going to be with us if it had been a different outcome. That's why Jesus is giving a sermon one day, and he references birds. He says, you know, the God of the heavens who made the earth, even when some birds fall to the ground, God knows and God cares, and you are worth so much more than the birds. So do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink. For God cares about the birds and he cares about you. And one day Jesus is looking upon Jerusalem. It's about to go through a very difficult time. He's tried to warn them. He's tried to petition them. He's tried to help them, and nobody would respond. And he uses the metaphor of a bird. He says, oh, like a mother hen longs to bring the chicks under their wing, so I long to be near you, to give you wisdom, to give you guidance, but you keep refusing me. I think God might say the same thing to us. Do you want to be free from worry? Here's the amazing thing about the cross. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, God, or the Bible, let me tell you the main message of the Bible is that Jesus died on a cross and it looked like God has left the building. Even Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's bad news. And yet, a time that seemed totally meaningless and worthless, it's time to worry, it's time to check out. God used that cross in history to be the source of forgiveness and peace. And the cross today is not a symbol for most of us of brutal crucifixion like the electric chair. That's what it would have been. It's a sign of forgiveness and hope and faith. And Jesus says, if God can use my circumstances to change the world in a positive way, maybe you can trust him. He can use your circumstances to change your world in a positive way. When you stop worrying and instead give your life over to the birds. Well, let's pray together. Maybe you want to just take a small step in that direction. Maybe you're not sure what you believe about whether Job existed and all that, but you want to say, I like what that song said. Say, God, I want to know things could be all right. I want to trust you just a little bit. I want to tell you today that I'm willing to put myself at least under the corner of your wing. And God, I want to admit I brought a lot of arrogance to the table, thinking I know more than I do. And I'm at least curious. I'm open to what you might want to teach me. Or maybe you're farther than that. You want to say, God, I, I want it. If you can turn a cross into something good, I want that. Father, forgive me for my lack of humility. And I invite you to come into my life and be that presence with me that I need as I face adversity. Father, in all those things, we know that hardship is hard and difficult. And God, we're thankful you're not a God who 
watches from a distance. You came in the middle of it and you felt it and you experienced it and you were in the trenches with us. For we serve a high priest who can sympathize with us. You've been tempted and tested in every way. So, Father, we ask that you would give us the perseverance we need to go through whatever challenges are before us and to see our faith grow and our character grow because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, speak of character growing as you leave today, I want to remind you that uh, Ken Kington is back with us with our Authentic Manhood Part 2. So if you enjoyed last semester, this will build on that. If you didn't come last semester, it'll stand on its own as well. It's going to begin on uh, February 10th for our Sunday nights. Again, if you're an evening person or if you're a morning person, it'll be February 11th. You can check the information on the screen in your program or on the website. We'd love for you to join us as you figure out how to navigate your own faith and find purpose in your life in the next year. Thanks for being here. We'll see you all next week for In the Wild, Part 4.